The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. For the next hour, Monterey College of Law's Dean Mitchell Winnick and law professor Stephen Wagner will discuss current legal events and public policy issues that are affecting our daily lives. They will not provide individual legal advice. If you have a specific legal problem, you're encouraged to contact a lawyer for legal assistance. If you do not have a lawyer, contact the local bar association or lawyer referral service in your community for recommendations. And now, here's Wagner and Winnick on the law. Good afternoon. This is Mitch Winnick, President and Dean of Monterey College of Law and San Luis Obispo College of Law. And I'm, unjo- I'm joined by my co-host, Law Professor Stephen Wagner. Stephen, how are you this afternoon? Just fine, Mitch, and you? I'm doing well, thanks. Still a little smoky, still a little smoky from our forest fire here on the central coast of California, but other than that, things are going well. Yeah, that's right. That's been quite uh, a fire, and it's uh, hopefully it's getting under control. I've noted that there has been a lot of good uh, headway, so. Well, it is. Our thoughts and prayers go out to the firefighters. That's that. Well, that's exactly right. I was about to say the same thing. I know a couple weeks ago I mentioned it, but it's just incredible the job they're doing. 5,500 of them from around California and multiple states here fighting what is now a a 70,000-acre forest fire. So uh, I, I, we certainly have our hopes and prayers for the hard work they're doing and their safety. So, Stephen, today we're going to talk about another controversial topic. We're bringing guns back onto the show. I know. It's back again. And lo and behold, we're also going to be talking about the Lone Star State, right? Yes, we are. And as most folks do remember, that was my original home, having come from Texas to California to serve as the dean of Monterey College of Law. I was actually at... Texas Tech College of Law as an assistant dean for a number of years and grew up in Galveston County. So I I bring a little bit of background on Texans and their guns. That's right. (laughs) And now we've got got campuses to talk about, too, because uh, our topic is going to be the carry guns on campus or the campus carry law. That's exactly right, and I, I know for a fact that this has been a controversial issue in Texas. Uh, I know that many of my colleagues who are on the faculty of various universities are have, have very strong opinions about this, as do people in Texas about their Second Amendment rights to carry guns. So I think one of the things I always like to start with this is, you know, and you and I have talked about this, we've had it on the show a number of times, but I'll put it right out there. You know, let there be no doubt that I am a strong and staunch Second Amendment supporter. 
All right, so I'm right out there. I absolutely believe in the constitutional right for individuals to keep and bear arms. I have no problem with that. All right, so I'm there, Stephen. You want to put yourself out there? Or you want to just I, you know, be more of a devil's advocate here? No, no, I don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually a right a right to bear arms proponent myself. But the way you were sending it out, Mitch, with your voice inflections, it sounded as if you were getting ready to say, "However." See, two years into the show, and you, you can read me like a book. Because that's exactly right. So what we have here, and what we're going to talk about today, is a law called SB 11 in Texas that went into effect this past January of 2016. And it was a, a, a bill by the legislature that had bipartisan support in Texas that was going to extend handgun carry permits, which used to be called a concealed handgun license, but it's now a handgun carry permit, and it was going to extend the right to have a concealed weapon, not just on campus on state universities in Texas, which that has always, that has been allowed since I believe 1995. So, so if, you had, right. if you had a permit, you could carry it on in, you could have it in parking lots, you could have it on the right of way in sidewalks and in open areas, but you were prohibited by law from taking a concealed weapon into a building on a state university. And yeah, that's right. So, so that, so it's, it's a, it's not a huge leap, I mean, but it's, you know, because you could have ga guns on campus if you had a concealed handgun license. Now, the January law went into effect that said you could now bring those concealed weapons, if you were properly licensed, into buildings. And then each university was uh, given until August 1st of 2016, so just, just this month, to come up with their own individual regulations about how they wanted to implement that. And so what happened is each university uh, had, they had uh, committees of faculty and students, community members and administrators that discussed how they wanted to implement it because the law allowed each state university, and, and it's, it's important to say these are state universities that are under the law, Private universities are still allowed to have a ban on handguns because it's private property. They're entitled to have their own rules. I say a ban. They're, they're entitled to have a rules to allow it or ban it however they choose to have the policy. So these are state universities only. And then they were allowed to define uh, gun-free zones or safe zones so that each university didn't have to do exactly the same thing. So, so that's where... That's where it stood in August 1st. Each one was supposed to have their rules in. And interestingly enough, they didn't all come out with exactly the same rules, Stephen. Yeah, I noted that too, Mitch. That was interesting. So it sounds as if the universities were permitted to introduce and implement specific rules in terms of parameters. Is that right, Mitch? That's right. So here are the, here are the areas that, that were under discussion. So dormitories. Okay. Could you keep a concealed weapon in your dorm room if you properly had a handgun license? Okay, so that that was kind of battleground number one. I saw that in sporting yep. venues, right? Sporting or, venues, uh, classrooms, faculty offices, uh, laboratories, 
And then other public spaces where maybe the public might be using university space. So e each of those were dealt with by the various schools. And as long as, and, and the, the January law said this specifically, that they could have these independent regulations on a campus-by-campus -campus basis as long as they didn't have the effect of a, of a general ban of your Second Amendment rights. Okay? So, so what do you think about that, Stephen? I mean, let's talk initially about the, the question of should somebody bring, be able to bring their gun into a classroom? You and I have both been classroom professors, a concealed weapon in the classroom. Yeah, so, and, and we, we ought to just share openly right now, Mitch, that we've had members of law enforcement as students at Monterey College of Law. That's exactly right. And you know what? And, and they carry, and they carry. And they, they carry, although in every case, unless they were on duty, uh, in every case that I've been aware of at our school, uh, if their classmates were uncomfortable with it, they would go and lock them in a gun safe in their car. That's absolutely right, and I'm glad you mentioned that, Mitch, because, you know, when I was in law school, I can recall having a student who did carry, and it was an ankle carry, a holster in the ankle, and it did make students uncomfortable, and it ended up that uh, he did not carry that sidearm weapon into the classroom anymore and, and honored the other students wishes. You know, and, and I remember, and, yeah, as you know, we've had police chief Kelly McMillan here in the studio with us. And I can remember the first time he came in and he was in casual clothes and he came in and, you know, you and I both know him from outside of the studio. And one of the very first things he said was, uh, by the way, I do have a weapon on me. If that makes you uncomfortable, I'm happy to go lock it in the car. Yeah. And I'm glad we're getting this out because, you know, we're coming up on our first break and and I know we need to talk a little bit about how we both feel about the rules. I can just share before the break that I think this adds more than one extra layer of responsibility, uh, especially in light of this idea that you can bring the firearm into certain areas or confines of a campus, yet not another. Um, I, I have concerns about implementation and exactly how that will be followed. Um, and I think, Mitch, and correct me if I'm wrong, you still need to be 21 years of age, correct? It's and exact, eligible for It's exactly right. So it, That's right. Okay, it's, so yeah. it, it, it probably limits the number of students. We should probably share that, too, I think, from a percentage basis, right? That's exactly right. From, you know, let's say on somewhere like the... Uh, University of Texas in Austin, which is a huge university. Uh, yeah, 200,000. 200,000 students and faculty and employees. I mean, it's a, it's a small city in itself. Uh, the right. estimate was that, that it might be 1% or 2%. So we're, coming, we're going into our first break. And so when we come back out, we're going to tease out those very issues that you talked about, Stephen. Everyone stay on the line. We're talking about Texas's concealed carry law on university campuses. Don't go away. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. We'll be right back.
Deciding to go to law school brings up questions like, can I afford it? Will I be prepared to take the leap and open my own office when I graduate? I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true with professors who are practicing attorneys and judges. They mentor our graduates. But don't take it from me. Hear what recent graduate Creighton Mandeville says. I wasn't crippled in debt coming out of Monterey College of Law. I came out of it with no debt. I was able to do some working during that time and some savings. So I exited law school with no debt. I did feel prepared coming out of law school. I started helping friends with the issues that came up for them. And Monterey College of Law has so many great faculties and things that there were resources for me. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000. That's 582-4000. Or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. That's montereylaw.edu. For 45 years, the Boys and Girls Clubs of Monterey County have been a vital part of our community. The club's mission is to inspire and empower the youth of Monterey County to realize their full potential to become responsible, healthy, productive, and successful citizens. As just one of the club's programs, more than 12,000 children and families have enjoyed safe after-school care at the Boys and Girls Club's Salinas Clubhouse. Boys and Girls Club of Monterey County is very excited to announce that Monterey College of Law is providing one full tuition law school scholarship each year to a former Boys and Girls Club participant. For more information about this exciting opportunity, contact President and CEO Donna Ferrero at dferrero at bgmc.org or call 831-757-4412. Beginning with the Continental Congress in 1774, America's national legislative bodies have kept records of their proceedings. Did you know that these records are available to you online for free? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner & Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. Congress.gov is the official website for the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. It is published by the Library of Congress and includes the public records of the U.S. Congress, the Government Publishing Office, and the Congressional Budget Office. Remember, members of Congress work for us, and if you want to see what they're doing, go to congress.gov and watch the actual sessions of Congress, or look up any law that's being proposed. That's congress.gov, C-O-N-G-R-E-S-S dot gov. Are you ready to start law school now? If you've just graduated from college or just thinking of changing your career, now is the time to take that first step. Slow College of Law is accepting applications for May 2016. The San Luis Obispo College of Law is an accredited branch of the Monterey College of Law School, founded 43 years ago. You can get a law degree from an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo. Their highly esteemed faculty is comprised of local judges and lawyers. San Luis Obispo College of Law classes are held conveniently in the evenings, and the campus is conveniently located in downtown San Luis Obispo. Let the professionals show you how to make becoming a lawyer a reality. Make today the first step in changing your life. Attend an information session and get answers to your questions. Call Dean of Admission Wendy LaRevere at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org for more information. That's slowlaw.org.
Welcome back. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. This is President and Dean of Monterey College of Law, Mitchell Winnick. And I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, law professor and attorney Stephen Wagner. Today we're talking about a law that went into effect in Texas on August 1st that allowed concealed weapons to be carried on the campus of state universities in Texas. So, Stephen, you had just, before we went on the break, talked about, you know, what are the requirements of those of the concealed carry permits. And, and I think that's an important thing to start with. And then we can get into what we actually think about the implementation would be, which you also asked. So as you said, you know, someone has to be 21 and that's exactly right. They must be 21. They need to have had uh, no felony convictions, no pending criminal charges, no chemical or alcohol dependency uh, defined as two convictions for a substance related offense within 10 years. Uh, no psychological diagnoses. Uh, uh, that's a little bit harder to define, but that you know, we'll skip that for a moment. Uh, no protective or restraining orders. And then one of the interesting ones, uh, no defaults on taxes, student loans, child support, or any other government fees. So, so those are the, the requirements of getting a concealed uh, permit. And then yeah, you have no, to I, I renew them every five years. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to add the proficiency component to that. I mean, the, to dem demonstrating proficiency and use of a firearm and safety is also a requirement. That's exactly right. They have to go through a, yeah. a four-hour class, uh, a classroom part, and then they actually have to pass a practical qualification at a firing range as well. So, so those, yeah. are the basic, those are the basic rules. So let, let's go back to the setting, Mitch. Let me loop back and kind of talk about and, and uh, emphasize some of the issues that raised concerns for me. So the idea of allowing concealed carry on campus in certain segments or portions of the campus and not others uh, raises some concerns to me. And, and it's a concern that I think I define most as placing great faith and responsibility in those who are allowed to carry. Um, in other words, if you're moving into certain segments of a campus uh, where it's prohibited, uh, I have concerns about how that's marshaled, for one thing. Uh, the other thing is it's the concealed part of this carry. Uh, you know, concealed weapons are carried typically, if they're on a person, Usually, it's going to be holstered in what's called a paddle carry, which would be in the small part of the back, probably, uh, or an ankle carry, which would be uh, a holster uh, Velcroed onto your ankle. Um, so it's actually on your body. But a concealed carry can also be in a backpack. Could be in a backpack, could be in a purse, could be in a briefcase. A, a book bag, sure. So, you know, I wonder about how one would responsibly monitor uh, the whereabouts of the weapon if it's not on their person. So yeah. it's the so-called backpack carry or book carry that causes me great concern. Okay, so that's, so that's, an, that's an issue that my guess is most people don't even think about because you get all wrapped up in the yes or no on should you be allowed to have your Second Amendment rights on campus. But there's some practical realities that you and I have problems with because I... 100% agree with you there. The security of that weapon becomes a major issue on campuses. You got the backpack strung on the back of your, 
your chair in the, the student union. Uh, I was just traveling recently and we were sitting in a public restaurant with a, on the, the, they had tables out on the sidewalk. Lovely sunny day, two tables away. While we were sitting there, somebody evidently walked by and snatched a backpack off the back of the chair right there. I mean, I, w- I wasn't Ten feet away, and I didn't see it happen. And somebody just walked by on the sidewalk, picked it up, kept going, and and it took a few minutes before the people who were eating lunch at the table even realized it was gone. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we we we've heard stories of members of law enforcement losing control of their weapons, right? That's correct. Okay, I mean, in various fashions, uh, their cars have been broken into and weapons have been taken. Right. That's, that's so, exactly right. You know, control and the, the ability to exercise control over the weapon is a major concern to me. Okay, so you so, and I agree on that, and I think that the law doesn't do anything about addressing that. You know, there's... No. One might no. question, is there a, a, a standard of care on securing the weapon? So could you be negligent if somebody stole that gun, went around the corner and used it illegally if you failed to secure it? Yeah, I, I think you could. I, certainly when I think about tort-based principles, yes, absolutely you could. So we see in, in homes, people are expected to have trigger locks to keep children from getting them. Many people have gun safes. And yet uh, there's nothing in this or nothing in the regulations about gun safes in a dormitory room or right. trigger locks or any of those other things that have become, I think, uh, part of the the discussion of what is responsible gun ownership and safety. Yeah, so look, Mitch, when we do our level best to be objective, which we strive to do as co-hosts, right? Correct. And I, I'm thinking about things like how is it decided, for instance, let's play devil's advocate, uh, the prohibition of carrying the weapon into a faculty member's office. Okay, let's well, I was, I'm let's, glad let's, you brought that up because I want to talk about that next. <laughs> yeah, let's stop, park, and get out of the car on that issue, okay? Yeah, yeah. Because no member of a faculty wants to know or, or will feel comfortable knowing that a student about to enter their office is carrying a weapon. That's exactly right. right. That's exactly right. And some of the schools, I'll point out, and I don't have the list of which ones did which, but some of the universities included faculty offices as a safe zone in which they gave their faculty the right to post a sign that said weapons are not allowed in this office. And they identified some personal property protection issue that, that goes with the professor in this case, not with the student. Okay, got it. Okay, but let's stop and think about that one for a minute. What's the genesis behind that prohibition? Why should that area be subject to a prohibition on carrying a handgun? Well, I would argue that now you get you shift somewhat into employment law that you're entitled to a safe workspace. And right. In this case, your private office that you get to lock and control. So this is not public space. You have to be, you have to grant entry into your office by permission, right? That I would say that you're entitled to define the safety parameters of your office. And it's it's a property right. It's a personal safety. It's an employment right. Sure. 
So, so you have a student who wants to meet with a faculty member to discuss, let's say, for instance, a failing a grade. grade. <laughs> <laughs> let's go right okay. to it. A failing grade. Let's, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Right. right. That's right. So, so I guess what we're doing now is we're just talking about the value of prohibiting, you know, that area because of the volatility factor or the potential volatility. And then the other thing that you mentioned. You know, the psychological factor, I think it's the one that you said is potentially hard to define when you were going through the list. That's exactly right. And let's come back to that one after this short yeah. break, because that's, a, that's, a, that's worth talking about at some depth. It is. You're listening is. to Wagner and Winnick on the law. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Applying to Monterey College of Law is not hard, and we have a financial plan and class schedule that is tailored to meet your needs. I'm Wendy LaRiviere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true without crippling you with debt on graduation day. I chose Monterey College of Law because I wanted to continue working during the day. I had children at home and I wanted to be able to go to school at night where it wouldn't impact what my children needed from me. There really is not crippling debt that you face afterwards. Monterey College of Law has a payment plan which is manageable and they work with you. The other huge benefit of Monterey College of Law is that the professors are judges and lawyers. By taking their classes, you really actually start networking. So I was very fortunate because I also ended up with a mentor. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000 or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. For decades, the students at Monterey College of Law have graduated and gone on to pass the bar and become successful attorneys. However, not everyone goes to Monterey College of Law to become an attorney. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. We also offer students our two-year Master of Legal Studies degree, which can enhance their chosen careers. I was working as a deputy coroner for San Mateo County as a death scene investigator, and I wanted a better idea of the legal issues that were involved in forensic investigations. Everything about Monterey College of Law was accommodating to the uh, course of study I was trying to find. I graduated from Monterey College of Law with no outstanding debt. I'm working as an investigator for the San Mateo County Private Defender's Office, performing indigent defense investigations. For more information, call us today at 582-4000. That's 582-4000. Or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. That's montereylaw.edu. If you are a small business owner, you're subject to many of the same laws and regulations that apply to large corporations. Where do you go for help? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. SBA.gov is the website published by the Small Business Administration. It provides a wealth of information for small business owners, including employment and labor law, intellectual property law, online business laws and regulations, environmental regulations, workplace safety, and foreign worker eligibility. Of course, SBA.gov is not a replacement for having your own business attorney, but it is a free resource that may help you realize when you need to consult an attorney. SBA.gov. 
Have you thought about a law degree? Did you know you can attend an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo? And you can begin classes in May or in August. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions of San Luis Obispo College of Law. San Luis Obispo College of Law is a branch of Monterey College of Law, an accredited law school established 44 years ago. At San Luis Obispo College of Law, we have convenient evening classes, Mondays through Thursdays from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. We have a tuition rate guarantee program that freezes your tuition rate when you begin and protects you from annual tuition increases. We also have payment programs that allow you to make monthly payments or apply for private student loans. At San Luis Obispo College of Law, our faculty is composed of highly esteemed local lawyers and judges. If you've been thinking about a law degree, find out now if San Luis Obispo College of Law is your law school. Attend one of our information sessions and get answers to your questions. Or call me, Wendy Law Revere, at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org. That's slolaw.org. It is one thing to argue with your friends at the bar, but have you ever wondered what it would be like to argue in front of the United States Supreme Court? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. Oye.org, spelled O-Y-E-Z dot O-R-G, is a website published by the Free Law Project at Chicago Kent School of Law. You can go to Oye.org and listen to 60 years of actual oral arguments at the United States Supreme Court. Written summaries are provided for cases that go all the way back to 1789. OEA.org also provides biographical information on every United States Supreme Court justice and offers an online tour of the Supreme Court building. Go to OEA.org to see if you have what it takes to present a winning argument. Welcome back. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. This is Mitchell Winnick, President and Dean of Monterey College Law, and I'm joined by my co-host, Stephen Wagner, law professor and attorney. We're talking today about campus carry laws, carry in this case talking about concealed weapons on state universities. A new law went into effect August 1st in the state of Texas that joins eight other states that have laws that allow uh, concealed weapons to be carried on universities, on university grounds, and in this case, in university buildings. So, Stephen, just before we went out on the break, you raised the issue of emotion and emotional state, particularly when you may have a distraught student coming to a private office where they walk into your faculty office, close the door so that they're entitled to privacy. And if the university hasn't established a safe zone for faculty offices, the faculty member has no idea whether that, whether that student is packing or not, right? Yeah, no, that's right. And I, I don't think we would really need to confine that concern to just the faculty office, frankly. Um, I mean, the classroom itself can often be a volatile setting, you know, or a setting in which a student might become emotionally uh, unhinged or there'll be some kind of an outburst. You know, of some sort. And so here's you know, the irony, and the irony of this is, as we talked about right at the top of the show, that that if you have certain types of psychological disorders, you might be prohibited from having 
a concealed carry license. But my guess is, in order to prove that up, that's going to actually have been a finding in court, don't you think? Oh, oh yeah, true, Mitch. And the other thing is, and that's, that is a good point, you know, typically those disorders that would prevent someone from obtaining a license are well-defined or categorical kind of, of maladies or afflictions, so to speak. I'm speaking in terms of just good old-fashioned heightened anxiety that is brought on by some kind of stimuli at, at, at a campus. Yeah. Well, so not not necessarily something you find in the Merck manual. No, I think you're exactly right. So, we're, so I, I actually, you know... It, we always think that maybe you and I can have some tension points on things like this, but I think we are both equally, I'm not going to say concerned. In my case, I'm going to say alarmed by the idea of this kind of law being in place. And remember, at the top of yeah. the hour, I got right out there and said, I am a pro-Second Amendment person. You can own and you can uh, own and bear arms. You can protect your home. You can protect your person. But I don't see how that gets extended into the private office of a faculty member on a on a state campus where there's this need to extend this to bring a concealed weapon into that office. And right. now you were and talking about classrooms. So let's let's talk about yeah, do, sure. do you have the same yeah. concern about classrooms? Well well I yeah I do. I mean I just don't you know ideally the classroom should be a, a place for nurturing discourse and exchange of ideas, obviously. Uh, but I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that it can often be uh, a challenging setting in that if a student is under some kind of pressure um, and that could potentially lead to uh, the discharge of a weapon, I mean, that's alarming to me. Yeah, we've had physical altercations in the classrooms at the law school. I mean, nothing that draw, drew blood, but I mean, these are passionate yeah. ideas. People argue that there's been some pushing and shoving going on. Uh, somebody yanked a chair out from under somebody one day. I mean, again, this wasn't sure. grievous bodily injury, but there, but the idea that, that that could be escalated by someone who has a concealed weapon really does distort the the paradigm of the classroom in my mind. What? Right, and, and, and I'm a, a believer that it's, it's people, not guns, that are the problem, Mitch. I, I really am. So if somebody is actually carrying a weapon on their person, like I said before, let's say an ankle carry or a paddle carry, uh, that's quite different than a situation where there's separation between the person and the weapon. And I'm back to the backpack. Right. That really, that really troubles me. Yeah. You know, your example of seeing somebody snatch and grab a, a backpack at a restaurant, uh, you know, obviously you were introducing the idea of what if, you know, there was a weapon in there. You know, oh, that's exactly you, right. And the other thing and, uh, is that other students will know who carries. They'll know. It, it, would, it would leak out. You know, so the person that actually has the license to carry uh, is someone that, probably needs to realize that others know that or should at least proceed as if others know that. Yeah, and one of the things I think that it's, it's a, so in, you step back and say, well, what, what's the origin of this? What are we, what are we trying to yeah. protect? And the, and the true Second Amendment folks say, you know, my gun, my right 
everywhere, every place. But that argument, as we would say in Texas, that dog won't hunt because even in Texas, there are specific restrictions already where you cannot take a concealed weapon. Right. So, so you right. cannot take it into a sporting event. You cannot take it into a bar or any restaurant in which 51% or more of their revenue comes from the sale of alcoholic beverages. Can't take it into a court or court offices. Can't take it into election and polling places. Can't take it into racetracks. I mean, so we're already agreeing that there, by law, that there are certain places that it's just inappropriate to extend that right. Yeah, and that's, Go let, ahead. All right, let, let's take this issue on. Let me, let me get you to shift something okay. for a minute. I, I think the, the, the reason behind allowing this, allowing students to uh, carry concealed is to increase safety. If you were to That's ask the argument. a proponent, right. okay, if you right. were to ask a proponent, the argument would be that if students are armed on campus, they in essence become de facto members of law enforcement, at least in the sense that they could potentially respond with deadly force to thwart deadly force. Uh, we've heard that argument, and that is exactly what was argued on the floor of the legislature in Texas in support yeah. of this. Now, now, you've spent a fair amount of your career working with law enforcement. What do you think? I mean, are, are yeah, they going to so sign I, on to that? Well, you know, I set it up because I've got some questions about it. Right. And, and you know, I do understand the argument behind allowing students to carry because it may increase or help improve safety. But the concern I have with that is not all people who carry concealed are trained properly to respond in a dramatic, intense setting like that. Not in like the four hours shooter. not in the four hours of classroom training? You don't think they've yeah, covered no. everything that makes you comfortable? They're, <laughs> no, they're, they're just not. You know, now, and, and I, I do understand that if, you know, just from a law of averages, if someone is carrying that they could potentially repel an attacker or somebody who goes off in a classroom shooting setting, God forbid. But, but you're placing a lot of faith in, in that person's ability to repel that attacker. It's not and, just and that. To do it but, properly. Yeah, and it's not just that. In in this discussion, you know, the irony, the sad irony in my mind, is that this law went into effect on August 1st, which was the 50th anniversary or memorialization of the shooting at the University of Texas where Charles Whitman took a sniper rifle up to the top of the Texas Tower and killed That's 14 right. people. And yeah. the witnesses on the floor of the legislature who spoke against this bill were people who survived that attack. And they said even then, 50 years ago, people ran to their car, got their rifles out because rifles were not covered by this prohibition. And it was chaos. No yeah, one knew yeah. who were the good guys, who were the bad guys. And so that's the, that's the part that I can't quite get my head around. You walk into, let's say, a commons, a university commons, and there's gunfire being exchanged, and you have your gun. And so in theory, by this argument, you're going to add to the safety because you can now bring out your concealed weapon and defend the good guys. How mm -hmm. is it? 
You, there's no little light that goes on on the forehead and said, it's not a video game. Good guy, don't shoot this guy. Bad guy, shoot this guy. You've got people exchanging fire. You have no idea who's who. Yeah, no, that's right. But, I mean, the sniper example is quite different than, you know, the one individual entering a classroom. Right. You know, but... But the argument is just as you said. It's a safety argument that somehow more guns make a space, a public space in their classroom space, safer. Yeah. Uh, I think it's ironic that uh, even Wayne LaPierre, you know, the president of the NRA back, what, a couple decades ago, is on record of saying that he was never in favor of having guns in education and classroom settings. So, mm -hmm. well, uh, with that, let's go to a break, and we'll come back and continue talking about this. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Making a change in career is a serious decision that affects both you and your family. You have many questions that need to be answered before you can make a commitment. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true. And it's affordable. But don't take it from me. Hear what recent graduate Dan Cullum says. Before I was entering law school, I was an airline pilot. After I retired, I decided that I would go to law school. Monterey College of Law was the avenue to fulfill that desire. I loved Monterey College of Law. It was small classes. The professors were very helpful, personal. You could talk to them. Tuition is not exorbitant at Monterey College of Law, which is the opposite of the way it is at other places. It's affordable. They have a, a program at Monterey College of Law that lets you pay as you go, so it's financially possible. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000 or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. Long before Woody's cruised Beach Street, kids and teens have needed to know that they are important and that they belong. Since 1969, the Boys and Girls Club of Santa Cruz has provided a place where potential is released and great futures are forged. Help celebrate our 45th anniversary by emailing your club memories and pictures to celebrate 45 years at boysandgirlsclub.info or call 423-3138, extension 23. We are also excited to announce that Monterey College of Law is providing one full tuition law school scholarship each year to a former Boys and Girls Club participant. Contact Executive Director Bob Langseth at 423-3138, extension 21, or email bob at boysandgirlsclub.info to learn more about this exciting opportunity. Consumer scams, fraud, deceptive business practices. Where do you go for protection? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. FTC.gov is the website published by the Federal Trade Commission. As the nation's consumer protection agency, the FTC wants to know about businesses that cheat people out of money. If you've been the victim of consumer fraud, you should file a complaint at FTC.gov. Although the FTC's Bureau of Consumer Protection will not help you recover your individual damages, your complaint may initiate an investigation that results in companies or individuals being sued by the government for fraud, 
deceptive practices, or unfair business practices. If you want more information about how to protect yourself as a consumer, go to the Bureau of Consumer Protection at ftc.gov. Are you ready to start law school now? If you've just graduated from college or are thinking of changing your career, now is the time to take that first step. Slow College of Law is accepting applications for May 2016. San Luis Obispo College of Law is an accredited branch of the Monterey College of Law School founded 43 years ago. You can get a law degree from an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo. Their highly esteemed faculty is comprised of local judges and lawyers. San Luis Obispo College of Law classes are held conveniently in the evenings and the campus is conveniently located in downtown San Luis Obispo. Let the professionals show you how to make becoming a lawyer a reality. Make today the first step in changing your life. Attend an information session and get answers to your questions. Call Dean of Admissions Wendy Law Revere at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org for more information. That's slowlaw.org. The U.S. Constitution has recently created national headlines in the debate about filling the vacancy created by the sudden death of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. The president and certain members of Congress are at odds about what the Constitution requires when there's a vacancy on the Supreme Court. Who is right? And how can everyday citizens be informed enough to know the answer? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. ConstitutionCenter.org is a website published by the National Constitution Center. The center was established by Congress to provide information about the United States Constitution on a nonpartisan basis. If you want information about the Constitution's history and what it means today, go to constitutioncenter.org and form your own opinion about the law. Welcome back to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. This is Mitchell Winnick with my co-host, Stephen Wagner. And today we're talking about a new law that went into effect in Texas that extended concealed carry permits or concealed carry rights for handguns onto state universities, including in many cases classrooms, uh, faculty offices, and other areas that previously were were barred for handgun possession on public campuses. A reminder that we're only talking about public campuses, and at the time, right now, it's only four-year campuses. It's not until 2017 that the same rule will go into effect for community colleges and other two-year programs. Uh, Stephen, let me share a statistic with you from the American Psychological Association, which I think goes along with some of our discussion of you know, the, the age group and the, the emotional issues that we know as faculty members go on on campuses. It says that one out of four college students suffer from some form of mental illness, including depression. 44% of American college students report having symptoms of depression, and 75% of college students do not seek help for mental health problems, suicide being the third leading cause of death among college students. And we know that from other statistics that all, although guns are not the sole, ca- uh, the sole instrument using, used in suicides, it is the, the most significant uh, method. So we take a 
a, a very emotional time of one's life. These are young adults under a lot of pressure uh, to perform in college. They're being evaluated by on a sometimes weekly basis uh, with grades and other projects. There's a lot of stress. We now see from the American Psychological Association, there's a probably disproportionate amount of depression uh, among this age group. And now we put guns into the mix. I mean, doesn't that also bring another factor in that you make you wonder, kind of scratch your head and say, in the balancing act that you and I talk about in the constitutional rights, we're talking about safety issues versus rights. And it, it just seems to me that the, the scale tips on behalf, if you want to talk about protecting students from statistical likelihood of bad things happening, mass shootings are awful, but you measure them on two hands, suicide and depression is much more prevalent and a much greater risk. And we're putting handguns into that mix. Yeah, so I, I do agree with you that that's a rather alarming issue, Mitch, and it's certainly one that has been discussed, uh, the connection between mental health and access to weapons. Um, however, I do not think those concerns should override the right to still carry concealed uh, in total balance. Okay, I, I and, really and I would agree don't. with you in whole. I mean, that doesn't mean this person can't own a gun, keep a gun. Right. But do we need them during these few years that they're actually on campus to be educated? Is yeah, that the and, time? And, is and, that is that they've got their whole life they can carry oh, that I weapon? Know, their yeah, whole I, life. <laughs> you know, I know, but you know, Mitch, we've had this discussion, and it makes me think of uh, how we can accurately measure. Uh, spikes in anxiety, you know, or, I mean, can we do that? For instance, in an academic setting, is it right to say that uh, anxiety becomes increased during exam time? You know, I would Absolutely. argue yes. I would argue yes. Oh, right? We've seen it firsthand for years. Right. Sure. But I mean, both we're both law professors. Anxiety abounds throughout the whole course of the study of law. No, I think I, I, I think you're right. So let's let's talk. We got a little bit more time here before we go. So implementation of the law. So there are actually there, are no surprise. Three faculty members of the University of Texas in Austin have filed uh, a suit in federal court asking that this law be held up until better study can be uh, be had, whether there's a balance between their equal protection rights, their safety. Uh, what do you think about the likelihood of that of that being upheld? I know you don't like to judge what a judge might do, but what do you think the likelihood of that having pre prevailing? Yeah, no, wait a second. Is that, I, set that up for me again, Mitch? Okay, I think actually it's, let me make sure, is it state? I guess it's state court. They've gone to state court in Texas, right. three professors, and they've, they've asked a judge to put the law on hold, arguing that the law is too vague for them to know if and how they might be punished if an armed student is kept out of their individual classroom. The attorney general in Texas has already immediately come back out and said, uh, we, will, we, will pursue, you know, we will pursue punishment of some type if professors violate this law. The judge hasn't ruled yet. They just filed the 
the lawsuit in Texas this week. Okay. What's your it. prognosis of how the discussion oh. will go on this? Well, okay, so I, I don't think the professors are going to prevail. I would agree. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because they're going to um, argue, they're arguing, I think it's interesting, they're arguing it on vagueness. Yeah, so so their, their uh, main concern or claim as CAST is that what would happen, what are the repercussions if they take action that's adverse to the right to carry? Yes, yeah, if is they that do. It? That's yeah. right, because I don't yeah. believe the law. I believe the law is silent as to what would happen if a professor violates the the law. Yeah, no, I I would say that the odds are not good for the professors in prevailing under that theory. Because I assume it's and, it's the student. Let's say the students held out a class because they they have a concealed weapon and they t t tell the professor, "I have it." I'm exercising my right and the professor says you are prohibited from coming into my classroom with that and now the student can't attend that class uh i guess it's a civil case the student would file a civil case yeah. against the yeah, professor okay. sure it would likely turn into some form of a representative action or maybe even a class action all those aggrieved parties that are licensed to carry would band together yeah. Well, we've yeah. we've we've used up our time today, Stephen. Thank you again for this great conversation. I've enjoyed that was it. That a good dialogue. Hopefully, we've Thanks, got sir. people thinking about it. Obviously, it's this is the law in eight states. There's a lot of other states where this is being discussed, and about a dozen states where there's pending legislation. So I'll remind everyone: you're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. You can listen to archive copies of this at Voice America. Dot com and biztalkradio.com and at wagnerandwinnick.com. So until next week, please remember, if you don't know the law, know a lawyer. in a forum with judges, lawyers, and policy experts answering your questions and discussing your personal rights within the legal system. Law School Dean Mitchell Winnick, along with law professor Stephen Wagner, will discuss the sometimes ever-changing laws and policies to keep you in the know. Listen every Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.